Revelations chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. The word of God says, write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Thus says the son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame, whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual morality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction, unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I'm not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers, who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. Peace to the Blueprint family. It's good to see you again. I look forward to these times when we're together. I hope it's as pleasing for you as it is for me to be in a place that I know I feel connected with, that I, I feel uh, uh, connected with, but not just connected with, but like we go together, <laughs> like we're a match made in heaven. So um, I don't want to oversell it, but this is literally how I, how I feel. We want to pray for SALT, which is the college ministry. Turns out they're on retreat right now, so we want to pray for SALT, uh, who's at the college retreat right now. That's the college ministry. So why don't we do that? Father, we want to mention SALT before you, the college students that are not with us today because they're, retreat, they're in retreat where they... Uh, seek your face uh, to synchronize their understanding of your will and the way your will ought to inform their will. Uh, the way your will informing their will ought to inform their practices. Uh, Lord God, would you do something with them as they are away, getting uh, it in with one another uh, for the sake of not only your glory, but for the sake of the good of the college sphere that you've called them to. And so now as we look at the scriptures, would you help us, uh, Father, to appreciate the word of God um, and to not only appreciate it, but embrace it. Uh, let it have a transformative uh, effect on our lives. We need this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
We're in an era where we are acutely aware of toxicity, the toxic, toxic masculinity, toxic political discourse, toxic political ideology, toxic discourse in the marketplace. Toxic work environments, even toxic church environments. We know that toxicity is wrong. It's unpleasant. But yet, how many of us would admit that we often find ourselves right in the midst of some place that we could put the label on toxic? And yet, right now, when I look at this passage, I think about something that many may not suspect could actually be the root cause of a toxicity that affects the church. One of our professors, me and Pastor Lewis, our beloved professor, used to say this, heresy always starts in the pulpit. Heresy always starts in the pulpit. It's through the pulpit that you can slip people a mickey, as though it were. It's through the pulpit that, unbeknownst to them, you can get them to buy into things that you could not get them to buy into if it wasn't the man of God that was saying it. One of the inroads that Satan uses is the inroad of the pulpit. And we're going to see in our text this morning that something from the pulpit, as though it were, was slipped into a church. And before you know it, it went from just something that you would kind of hope would be the case to something that's exactly toxic, a toxic form of it. And that is this idea of being tolerant. Tolerance. We want tolerance in our society. We don't want people getting mad at the drop of a hat. We don't want people who can't seem to like disagree without being disagreeable to, you know, lose and storm out just because you don't like it, uh, just because that's not your vibe, that's not your, your flavor. You know, we want people who, who are tolerant, but sometimes tolerance can become toxic. Hmm, toxic. Tolerant people usually boast in the fact that they're tolerant <laughs> and they can't stand people who are intolerant. In fact, tolerant people are intolerant of intolerance. <laughs> so while they boast about you shouldn't be intolerant, they are intolerant <laughs> when they get around people who are intolerant. <laughs> And so today what we're going to look at in this text is a church that suffered from toxic tolerance. Revelation chapter 2, 18 to 29, the text begins, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, This church, the church in Thyatira, this small, they say, one of the least significant cities out of all the seven churches, that this city was one of not only one of the least significant, that it was known for the, the, the least amount of accomplishment. So in other words, this was the least church, and yet this church actually receives the longest letter. It's this church. This church was known, if anything, Christians, we know Thyatira from probably the most famous Christian to come out of Thyatira. And that is a woman, a diva, a female version of a hustler. 
who sold purple goods. She was from Lydia, was from Thyatira. She was a seller of purple. And the Bible says that the way the gospel took root in Europe is Paul went to a prayer meeting and Lydia from Thyatira, that she was there and her ears perked up when she heard the gospel. And she said, I like it. I'm with it. And then she said, now use my home. And we believe that the church of Philippi may have, in fact, started in the house of Lydia from Thyatira. Thyatira, a blue-collar city, this city. So the Christians would have known grit and grind, sort of a union, kind of a union uh, city where you belong to these guilds. Out of all the only thing that we know about it is that they had guilds, and guilds are really just unions with a lot of power. One of the, some of the inscriptions uh, say that the trade guilds in Thyatira were more than any other Asian city, and this is what they would say. We have guilds that focus in wool work, linen work, outer garment waking dyes, purple, leather work, tanners, potters, bakers, slave dealers, and bronze smiths. So there's, architect- there's a- architecture that lets us know that in Thyatira, that was their kind of their livelihood. You belong to these, these powerful unions and you did some of this blue collar work. It was a pay to play city where you had to be in with the union. You had to be in with the guild in order to rise to the top. It was, back in the days in Camden, New Jersey, there used to be the Campbell soup plant. So one of the best places you could work if you were in Camden was Campbell's. And, uh, and when Campbell's left, I mean, to this day, Camden is kind of in shambles. It would be like being in Detroit and going down to GM, right? It would be GMC. It's like uh, Boeing in Charleston or here. Is it Pepsi here? Is it Pepsi? Coke. Anathema. See, and I, I shouldn't even use that one. Campbell's, GMC, and Boeing was good enough. You got the point. But I tried to like floss. You see how you do? Here's a lesson. Don't overdo it. One of the things that we see here in our text is that to Christians in this kind of a place, write a letter. And the first thing that we see Because in these letters, Jesus starts by letting you know who he is, who's addressing the church. And he tailor makes his address to them by doing something that's particular to them. So he says to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. The words of the son of God first. Jesus, in stunning fashion, nowhere else in Revelation does Jesus refer to himself as the Son of God. But in Thyatira, uh, again, Apollos, the son of Zeus, was a big deal. So Apollos was known as the son of Zeus. So the Lord Jesus has to say, let me just speak to you all from the son position so I can son, son, (laughs) even though he doesn't exist. (laughs) Let me son, son. (laughs) He flexes on them here. Jesus is the one who says, I build my church, and so let me address my church. I don't just address my church, but I inspect my church. I don't just inspect my church, but I correct my church bars. <laughs> Woo! He walks among the churches, seeking her good, her growth, and ultimately our glorification. He wants to glorify a church. The Bible says he wants to present her spot- spotless and blameless on that day. He says, the one who's got eyes of fire... 
that's penetrating insight, that is pure perspective. He sees through the Mary Kay. <laughs> he sees, Mary Kay's not even hot anymore, is it? I'm, I'm striking out today. Maybelline, what? No. Uh, what's good? What's, 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 the, what's the stuff today that you? Mac. Mac. How did I know? I didn't know Mac was still macking. All right. But he sees through the cosmetics. He has eyes of fire. Jesus doesn't say, I have a sneaky suspicion. He doesn't have sneaky suspicions. He knows. Hmm. Jesus says, I got eyes of fire, penetrating insight. He never says, fool me once, shame on me. You, fool me twice, shame on me. He doesn't do that. He goes straight to the, the point is, you can't fool me. <laughs> y'all don't know that one, do y'all? 0 for 3, I'm stopping. He says, I see, I know what's going on in your church. I know what's going on in your heart. Jesus says, I know what's going on right now here. And then he says, the one who has feet of bronze. Also in Thyatira, you heard it, part one of the gills was good at bronze work, metal work. So he says, the one who has feet that have bronze, you know about bronze. You know how rugged bronze is. You know how sturdy bronze is. I am the one who sees all, knows all, and I'm solid as a rock. And the Bible makes clear that his bronze feet not only are deep-rooted, but with them he crushes his enemies. And I'm not trying to hit us with these hard truths all early, but Jesus starts by telling them, I will stomp on. And you're going to see he's going to have to address an opponent. So he says, I will stomp on and I will crush my enemies. The Bible says, come, let me make your enemies a footstool, an ottoman. Kick your feet up, your bronze feet up, Lord Jesus. The Bible makes clear that the father crushed Jesus. Isaiah says the father was pleased to crush him, but he was only crushed so that he could prevent us from being crushed. The Lord Jesus doesn't want to crush. He was crushed so you wouldn't have to be. He came on a rescue mission at first. But next time he comes, the Bible says that he comes on a war path. And so he opens up the letter by saying, can I just talk as the son, the son of God who has eyes of fire, who knows what's going on and who has bronze feet, the feet that will deal with enemies and yet stand firm and rooted for those who want to take their uh, place in me. So that's how he opens up. Then Jesus commends and corrects his people graciously and truthfully. So he starts off by asserting himself and then he goes to commending and correcting his church. Jesus commends and corrects his people graciously and truthfully. 19 to 20. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So the first thing the Lord Jesus does is he commends them. I know your works. Those blazing eyes know the good. And we ought to take notes from here because Jesus starts with the good. He starts with evidences of grace. That's what we ought to do. We ought to look at someone and start with good. He says, I want to say, I see your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. This was a good church. This was a good church. It was a loving church. You walk through the doors and they greet you. You walk through the doors and they seat you. You walk through the doors, they don't ignore you. This was a faithful church, faithful in attendance. We just took an offering, faithful in giving, uh, volunteering, 
faithful in volunteering and serving. He says, I see love, I see faithfulness, I see service, and patient endurance. We're in an era where people are checking out on the church, but you're here. He says, I see you showing up and you're enduring the hardships. You're not here because everything is peaches and cream. You're here because you are enduring patiently, looking to the one who is to return. This is a good church. He commends them for their good. But then he commends them for their growth. Look what it says. Your latter works <laughs> exceed the first. You remember the church at Ephesus? They were told that they had a lot of good things. And then the Lord Jesus says, but you fell off. <laughs> you fell off in the love department. He says, remember what you used to do and return to it. This church, he doesn't say that. This church, he says, it's not a fluke. He says, this church is not fleeting. He says, this church is flourishing. You don't just love sometimes. You're loving and you're increasing in it. You're not just faithful sometimes. You're going. Uh, can you see the picture of this church being commended by the Lord Jesus who has eyes to know the real for real? <laughs> The Lord Jesus says, this is for real, for real for you. What a church. You would want to be in this church. And then the Lord Jesus, who is faithful to commend us, is faithful to critique us. The Lord Jesus, who is gracious in his words, is, he's also truthful in his analysis. We live in a day where some people feel that it is inherently offensive to critique. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. The Lord Jesus says, I told you I'm speaking as the son. I'm speaking as God. And I'm speaking as somebody who knows. And my assessment will be right. This is what he critiques them for. Verse 20. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. He critiques them for their tolerance. <laughs> I can envision somebody sort of tensing up when he says, but I have this one thing against you. <laughs> and then they hear your tolerance. I thought he was going to say something. Tolerance. <laughs> We're talking about tolerance. <laughs> It's like Alan Iverson, practice. <laughs> tolerance. Tolerance. <laughs> Not murder. Tolerance. <laughs> And yet the Lord Jesus says, yeah, it's your tolerance. You tolerate Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. First of all, if you know the Bible, you just saying, man, the Bible is so complete. The Bible is one author who thread together, again, over 40 different authors. The Bible is one author who utilized 40 human authors to put together a tapestry that is airtight. Everything relates to one another. Everything kind of bolsters one another. Everything is intertwined with one another. So you and I were looking at this and we're saying, hold on. Where have I heard this before? I see meat sacrificed to idols. Paul dealt with that in 1 Corinthians. Acts dealt with that when they told them abstain from meat sacrificed to idols. When I look at sexual immorality, that's all over the place. Again, who is this? He says, this church seem to tolerate, go easy on, overlook Jezebel, who it doesn't say she was a prophetess. It says who calls herself a prophetess. And yet 
She's teaching and seducing my servants to be immoral and to eat sacrifice, sacrifice, uh, meat sacrifice to idols. Now, let's deal with this Jezebel, because more than likely her name was not Jezebel. Jezebel is a byword. Most people don't name their daughters Jezebel. <laughs> Culturally today, you know a Jezebel. A Jezebel is somebody who's known, is synonymous with scandalous. A Jezebel is someone who's known to be seductive, to be immoral, to be uh, a confusing, somebody who, who, who stirs up trouble and dissension. That's culturally today. Well, that goes back to the original Jezebel in the Bible, in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 16. There was a woman named Jezebel. She was married by a king named Ahab, and she became the evil genius with Ahab. She was Ahab's hitman. She was Ahab's fixer. She was her husband's boo. But when she went out for this boo, she was like, you so weak, I got you. Look what the text says in 1 Kings 16, 31. You don't have to turn there, but listen to it. Ahab, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That's a whole nother one. He took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal. Now, Baal was like the leading, uh, the leading opponent of Yahweh in Israel's history. It would be like a guy on the street. You got like a couple of things you're going to have to battle a lot. Back in the days, it was like Islam, nation of Islam. Again, you walking on the street, you're like, because I mean, to God be the glory, to God be the glory. So you Christian? No, I'm not a Christian man, 5%. You know, God's in the earth. You know, all of these things. Today, it may even be Hebrew Israelism. Again, I'm not talking about Christians who identify as Hebrew. I'm talking about that cult that's outside of the faith known as Hebrew Israelites who yell at white people and tell them that they can't be saved. I'm talking about them. So today you, you got these competitors. Well, back then it was Baal. So the fact that she was the son of a guy whose name was Baal let you know that that family was committed to Yahweh's opponent. So he marries Jezebel, the daughter of a king who was dedicated to Baal. And then it says, and went and served Baal and worshiped him. She got her husband to start worshiping Baal instead of Yahweh. He erected an altar to Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. That was Baalette. That was Mrs. Baal. And Ahab did more to provoke Yahweh, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So original Jezebel was committed to opposing the exclusivity of Yahweh. Turns out that she did not want them to get rid of Yahweh. She just wanted them to include Baal. Let's go. You're going to see where this is going. She would bully God's people. She put out hitmen on a man named Naboth because she wanted his vineyard for her husband. She even had Elijah, the great prophet of Israel, shook. He was ready to commit suicide because she was after him. Second Kings 9.22, she is called the mother of whorings and sorcery. And then she had a violent death because God was so against her. 
Look at 2 Kings 9, 33 to 37. So they threw her out the window. Some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses, and they trampled on her. When they went to bury her, they found no more than her skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. When they came back and told the prophet, I mean, the, 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 the soldier Jehu, because, again, Elijah had made a prophet that she was going in like this. So the guy who basically went to work on, on uh, Jezebel, he said, this is the word of the Lord spoken by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of uh, Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the fields in the territory of Jezreel, so that no one can say, this is Jezebel. He says she's going to have a closed casket by the time I finish with her, and sure enough, that's the way it happened. In other words, in the Old Testament, you see who Jezebel is, and you see what her end is, so why would you follow her? (laughs) So where God, Yahweh, did not tolerate Jezebel, Jehu, the judge, did not tolerate Jezebel, but this good, 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 for real good church, Thyatira, did. You tolerate Jezebel. She calls herself a prophetess. In other words, she would get over on the saints by saying, well, God told me this. She would get up and say, well, let me show you what the Lord showed me. Because in the Bible, there were prophets, there were prophetess, there were people who stood and proclaimed what God has said. My son was pouring into us the other night, last night, I think. He was just, just, just having a conversation saying, because, you know, prophets don't have to come up with it. Prophets just, they point you to what God has said. In this day and age, we're often looking for what God has said in his word. She called herself a prophet, a spokesman. And people will be like, wow, but she said God said. I mean, how am I going to oppose that? Says that not only did she call herself a prophetess, she, she seduced servants to practice immorality and food sacrifice to idols. In other words, she used instruction and influence. Let's go. This is the era of the influencer, isn't it? <laughs> that the influencers get all the ears for their instruction. This was her. She was influential and she instructed them. What did she do? She instructed them to what? Be sexually immoral, accept immorality, and sacrifice, eat meat, sacrifice to idols. So just to give you the backdrop, I told you that in Thyatira, the guilds, the unions were very powerful. Part of what made them powerful was they dominated everything, especially economically and in terms of social standing. But what was intermingled with it was you, they were into idols. And part of the, their, their, their religion, their religious practices included sexual promiscuity. Again, part of the religion, part of the religion included sexual immorality thinking that it was a way to appease the gods and immorality. So again, then they went to meet sacrifice to idols. Well, that's what they would do. At these places, they would toast to the gods. They didn't believe in one god. They believed in many gods. So they would, they would make a toast, toast to our god. And so what Jezebel, this Jezebel did was she said, you know, if we're going to like, like, 
develop friendships, if we're going to like get good jobs so that we can give to the church, if we're going to like move and be missional, you know, and become friend of sinners, then we should like realize that it will be okay for us to participate in the activities of the guilds. Because if you don't, you're not going to get a good job. And if you don't, you're going to look standoffish. And if you don't, you're going to look closed-minded. And if you don't, you're going to offend people who do. And if you don't, then you're going to be on the outs. We don't want that, do we? Besides, God understands. This is the type of thing that she would suggest. It's like in politics today. Again, depending on what your party is, they'll tell you how you got to vote. They'll tell you what you got to say. And the ones who won't do it their way won't make prime time. You may be have an office that's off the grid, but you, if you're out of step, well, that's it for you. It's Hollywood today. How many people said, well, he took advantage of me? Well, because, you know, I had to if I wanted to get that role. It's like in sports media today. Well, you can't say that because they will take you off the anchor and they will put somebody else up. You won't call the NBA games on primetime because they heard about your view and your view is at odds with. It's like institutions of higher learning. If you don't come correct, there are people who won't get the powerful positions in institutions of higher learning. In other words, this is not new. It's you on your your athletic team. It's you and your job. It's you. It was us in the music industry. I can't tell you how many Christian musicians have catered to the demand to stop being so. You should work with. And this is what she would say. This may have been literal. And at the same time, it may have been metaphorical. That their immorality was not just literal, but it was also metaphorical. Because to be faithless to Yahweh, to be faithless to the Lord Jesus is called immorality. Which is why in Matthew on two occasions he calls this generation an evil and adulterous generation. Because you're unfaithful to me. James The apostle says, you adulterous generation, don't you know that friendship with the world makes yourself an enemy with God? And they were doing the same thing. And this was early. Early in the Christian faith, people would assess, who do I have to be friends with in order to not stay at the bottom? Again, I got friends who said, well, we couldn't eat. I can't eat like that. I know tons of people who link up with artists. And I'm saying, now, how does that work? Because you say you want Jesus, his word and his way to be dominant. But you're the you're the musical director for the guy that says, I got it on my right now. And she just want me to sing on it. Hmm. You think that the world would think that if you play and you direct the music for the person that's telling people to go out and sleep with as many people as they want and do whatever they want. You think that the world is going to think that God has a problem with it? You're the church guy. So many people from the church come out. And again, you, we're going to see. Sometimes you don't do it. We're going to see what he says. Remember, the sin is not you do it. The sin is you tolerate it. Later on, he's going to, verse 24, call it the deep things of Satan. More than likely, she passed this off as the deep things of God. When people compromise, 
but they need Christians to buy into it. They have to sell this as, I know it sounds funny, I know it's not what you're used to, but these are the deeper things. Again, people will say, you know, when I was young, I used to just go up to people and I would tell them they're going to hell. When I was young, I used to go up to people, I used to say, Jesus is the only way. But then I realized that you need to just build relationships and, and they never get to letting people know the realities of life without Christ and the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus. One ministry had a bunch of pastors and, and influential leaders together. And they said, is Jesus the only way? And the one guy, if I said his name, many of you might know him, but he's very popular. He's very prominent. And he says, now, I can't say that Jesus is the only way. I don't know. I haven't tried to all the ways. He's just the only way for me. In other words, he was intolerant of anyone who would say Jesus is the only way and every other person must bow the knee to Jesus if they want eternal life. I know it's rough, but that's what Jesus said, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever comes to the Father must come through me, right? The Lord Jesus. Later on, somebody said, well, what do you think about the Bible? He says, well, yeah, I used to see, you know, the Bible used to be like 90 percent, right, 90 percent. But, you know, the more I started thinking about it, it's not like 60 percent, you know. And uh, he said, you know, the more I think about it, I'm 25, 25, 25 because of the Bible. And then there's, um, there's this tradition and then there's experience and then there's and he just started dicing up how, how much the Bible was able to be the, the authority, and he's brought in and he's celebrated and he's esteemed. And somebody said, well, I don't believe like him. Yes, but you esteem him. And he's a pastor and he's an influential pastor. In other words, sometimes people will say, because when I was young, I used to be like you. But now that I'm into deeper things, he calls them, verse 24, look at your text, the deep things of Satan. The deep things of Satan. So here's the conclusion. Jezebel was an evil influence who got Christians to be Christian and yet tolerate things that were antithetical with Christianity in the name of not being intolerant. Today, we want to be tolerant, and I understand it because we should tolerate one another. We say things like we're a such and such affirming we want to be inclusive, no filter, no judgment zone. People think it's humble to say, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. Now, again, we don't have all the answers, so that could be a true statement. But a lot of times people don't want to say the answers they know because that seems like you think you know all the answers. But the Bible says, let God be true. And let everybody else be proven to be a liar. People think it's arrogant. One preacher said, they think it's arrogant to doubt scripture. I mean, they think it's humble to doubt scripture. They don't think it's arrogant to not doubt themselves. <laughs> There's a slippery slope to tolerance. Tolerance is not love and doesn't win ultimately. You start by just tolerating what you hate. Then you hate whoever does not tolerate what you should hate. Then you accept what you should not tolerate. And then you celebrate what you should hate and not tolerate. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. 
the slippery slope. We start off, we're tolerant. We tolerate what we shouldn't hate. Excuse me, what we should hate. We don't do it. We don't tolerate it. Then we tolerate it, but we don't do it. Then we hate whoever doesn't tolerate what we hate. We start getting mad at people who haven't moved to being more intolerant. And then you accept what you don't tolerate. And then you celebrate what you should not. 1 Corinthians 5 gives us something like this. It's actually reported in this church that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the culture, pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? So that's early on. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, you shouldn't tolerate even the smallest because the small is like leaven. And leaven doesn't stay in one place. It works its way through the whole lump. So here's the lesson. Don't tolerate. Our motto should be like Frederick Douglass who stated, I would unite with anybody to do right and with nobody to do wrong. (laughs) I like what Fred was saying there. Or later on when he says, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. In other words, what you say is you nip it in the bud. You don't tolerate it and let it get out of hand. Now, what I'm not saying is that we should, our brand should be intolerance. And that we should volunteer our disavowal of things and our, uh, our opposition to things. That everybody always see us online opposing, always inserting ourselves in conversations with the, 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 the rough and tough. Yeah, because Jesus, right. No, y'all going to hell. No, that's not what we're saying. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what the text is saying. We saw in 1 Corinthians when Paul went to a place called Mars Hill. Paul's went there and he looked and he said, hmm, I got to hand it to you all. You all have a religious inclination. And he affirmed the fact that he saw religious hankerings in them. He says, hey, I noticed that you have a gap where you have it to the unknown God, the unknown God. Now, Paul didn't start by saying you got a whole bunch of gods. You wrong from the giddy up. No. Paul says, hey, I noticed you have a space for one you don't know. He says, can I tell you about the unknown God? And then he went in and he started just talking to them generally about God's goodness and God making all of us and God unifying us. And he started with what unifies us. Bible says that they were trekking with him. Eventually, he did get to Jesus in the resurrection, and it says, and that's when they, the wheels fell off, but it says some believed. One guy was on TV. The guy said, hey, I'm not talking about the organization. Let's get that straight. I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about the sentiment. If Jesus were here, would Jesus say Black Lives Matter? Guy wouldn't budge. Lives matter. Yeah, I'm not asking you that. I know lives matter. That's what we're saying. (laughs) Would Jesus say in this climate, not the organization, the sentiment, black lives matter. Brother, lives matter and wouldn't budge. I said, but you're the Christian. You couldn't affirm that Jesus would affirm if all lives matter. (laughs) If lives matter, 
Jesus would not affirm the sentiment. The guy was very clear. See us, we didn't want to budge. Well, I didn't want that to connect to, okay. What we need to do is recognize that tolerance can get toxic, but we can be so intolerant that we're not missional. Jesus will cleanse and keep his church. Let me hasten. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into a great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children, that's like her followers, dead. And this is Jesus talking. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. First, Jesus says something that is clear in the scriptures. He says, I gave her time to repent. The Bible says that Jesus is not trigger finger. He's not trigger happy with, with wrath. The Bible makes clear that he is long suffering at us, according to 2 Peter, not wishing that any should perish. Bible says, I'm not slow, I'm just kind, and I like to give you a lot of time. Unfortunately, sometimes the more time is like giving you more rope, and the more rope you get, the worse it is when you hang yourself. But he says, but for me, I'm slow to anger, the Bible says. Jonah went, and he wanted God to destroy the Ninevites, and God didn't destroy the Ninevites. And Jonah got mad and said, see, this is what I'm saying. I knew how you are. You're slow to anger, and you're quick to relent. When you plan to judge, but you don't judge when you see repentance. I knew it. I'm so mad at you because I wanted you to judge them. Oh, we always want the judgment for others, but we want the mercy for ourselves. We want time for ourselves. Have you ever been on a plane? You got the middle seat, but it looks like you're going to have a better seat. You're like, close the door, close the door. Knowing somebody wish that the door would stay open because they're trying to just get on the plane. And you're like, yeah, but if you hurry up and close them out, I could get a better seat. Thinking about you instead of thinking about how the delay is going to help them. Let's go. The Bible makes clear that he says, I give you time. And right now, God will give you time if you need to repent. Me time if I need to repent. He says, but she, if she refuses to repent, she, but she refuses, I will throw her on to a sick bed. The irony is she's in bed immorality. He says, you want the bed? I'm going to put you on it. A sick bed and those who commit adultery with her I will throw you into great tribulation unless they repent of their works why so severe because a little leaven leavens the church it was a good church and this tolerance when it's toxic nobody eventually loses that breast or that limb because they like it but they're willing to lose a breast or a limb because of cancer. Text says, I just, I do it for that, you're good, but I also do it for my glory. The text says, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. One of the first things that broke the fluffy idea of the church in the book of Acts is the death of Ananias and his wife Sapphira who was messing with God's church. And the only way they knew it, because no one knew it, the only way they knew it is because the God who searches the mind and the heart, he exposed them and then he killed them. 
But to the rest of you in Thyatira, verse 24, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned some of uh, what some have called the deep things of Satan, <laughs> to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. And so he says, but to you who are just tolerating it, but you haven't fallen into it, and you who are not tolerating it, but you're just in a church where you're outnumbered, he says, don't drift, hold fast, and live faithfully based on what you already know. And that's the word to you today, Blueprint. Look around for things, and you address it in grace. You address it with love, but then you address it. To the faithful, Christ promises ultimate vindication and personal intimacy. Look at verse 26, and I'm finished. The one who conquers and who keeps my word until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule with them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. There's a couple ways you can understand this. But what Jesus says is ultimately, I'm going to give vindication to people who get left out because of their faithfulness, who get talked about because of their faithfulness, who if you don't, you don't, you don't go in and Therefore, you're left out. He says, don't worry. One day you're going to rule the nations with me. This is a messianic psalm about Jesus ruling the nations. And it says here, I will vindicate and you will rule with me. Blueprint. I'm closing. Blueprint. I hope you all know that this is us just saying stuff. You're looking at the Bible written to seven churches by the Lord of the church who flexes at the beginning. That's why it has a flex tone to it. It's not me. It's Jesus saying, this is the son of God talking. Flaming eye Jesus, not blue eye Jesus. <laughs> Bronze feet Jesus, not in the sandals with a little teeny hole at the top. Like, hey, I'm back. <laughs> and this is Jesus saying, I'll put you on a bed. Or I can put you on a throne. You'll rule the nations with me. I'm going to conclude like this, summing up with one preacher said, and I think he does well. Every generation of Christian must face the question, how far should I accept and adopt contemporary standards and practices? On the one hand, Christians must not deny the faith. On the other, they must not divide their membership, deny their membership of society. The cause of Christ is not served if Christians appear as a group of old-fashioned people always trying to retreat from the real world. Christians live in the same world as their neighbors and face the same problems. They must find Christian solutions. The prophetess and her followers had been so ready to conform to the practices of the pagan neighbors that they had lost sight of the essential Christian position. They had exalted expediency over principle. Had Christianity taken this away, it must be surely have become just another of the Eastern cults which had their little day and perished. The risen Lord points to the very essence of Christian living when he urges high standards of moral conduct. So what will you do? We pray that you will be people of conviction not people of compromise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.